Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter number 19 this morning. 1 Kings chapter number 19. I'm going to look at a somewhat familiar story in the Old Testament. Uh, I love studying the characters of the Bible, and you know, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Elijah. Um, I want to look at a message this morning that really I think it hits home with probably many of us today, and I know especially in my own life. I think the past few weeks I've had several people walk out the door and say, Pastor, I think that message was for me. Uh, I didn't necessarily have anyone's you know, name in mind when I prepared messages, but uh, specifically this message today is for one person here, myself, because uh, it's something I've been struggling with, and I hope... I hope this will be an encouragement to all of us today, but um, anyone ever struggle with uh, despair, despondency, discouragement, maybe depression? I think many of us do. Uh, I read some, some statistics. Uh, back in the Wall Street Journal, uh, back in 2014, they had a subject of nervous breakdown saying, the nervous breakdown, the mysterious affliction that has been a staple of American life and literature for more than a century has been wiped out by the combined forces of psychiatry, pharmacology, and managed care. But people keep breaking down anyway. According to USA Today's Weekend magazine, anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem in the United States, costing Americans more than $42 billion a year in doctor's bills and workplace losses. Uh, So I think we can all attest to the fact that Anxiety disorders and you know mental disorders and and really just kind of breaking down despair despondency depression hits a lot of us and really that's kind of what the message is on this morning despondency despondency is this it's a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage you ever been there had your spirits just kind of broken and feel really low and kind of depressed or kind of depleted you know I, I've been there many times in my life in my ministry. Uh, you know, I've shared briefly a little bit of what, what I've gone through in the past you know, few years as being a pastor, but really in my 13 plus years of ministry, I've had many high points and I've had many low points. And uh, it seemingly doesn't make any sense to me. Sometimes my lowest points are right after a very high point. Uh, I even think of this past year, uh, uh, right after Easter Sunday, which we had a phenomenal service, had a record attendance and really a great Sunday. Uh, that Monday, literally, I was just ready to quit. <laughs> I was ready to be done. People are like, wow, why, why would you even say that? Well, it, it hits me just as much as anyone else. And, and especially, I think, some of the things that I've gone through of recent, you know, going to the hospital for a number of days and, and struggling with meningitis, which I still have and still struggle with it greatly. Uh, it's really gotten me down uh, more than probably I, I like to admit and more than I like to show. But uh, there's many times in the house where I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm, I'm tired. I'm depleted. I'm, I'm weary. I'm worn out. And, uh, you know, it doesn't help with different things that have gone on in the ministry over the years and, and different things that have you know, happened and people said this or that. that you know, it's neither here nor there, but the point I'm trying to make is that you know, I know I struggle with despondency. And I know if I do, I'm sure many of you is, do as well. And we're going to look at a character in the Bible, Elijah, that struggled with this as well. 
And it happened right after a phenomenal moment in his life. So let's go ahead and stand if you would. First Kings chapter number 19. Read a few verses this morning. Then we're going to set the stage by going back to chapter 18. First Kings chapter 19, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, And Ahab, the king of Israel at the time, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done. Now we'll hit on just what Elijah had done here in just a minute. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about that, this time. So what she is saying is she is sending a kill order for Elijah because of what Elijah had just done to many of her false prophets in the previous chapter on Mount Carmel. And when he saw that, basically when he saw this message that had come from the queen, he arose and went for his life. He was afraid. And came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you so much for the songs that have been sung this morning. Especially this last song, Lord, we're so thankful and so dependent upon your grace. Lord, we don't deserve it, yet you keep picking us up. And Lord, I think of my own life, how many times I've failed you, how many times I've let you down, and yet you still are there watching over me. And Lord, I pray that today as we look at this message and try to understand what it means to thrive through our despondency, that we would understand the characteristics of the life of Elijah, and really we'd see the prescription that you gave him in this chapter. And help us to realize that this happens to many of us, there might be some even today that are dealing with a despondent spirit or depression or anxiety or a number of different things. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look at your word of how we can try to help fix it. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with me. Give me the strength as I preach your message this morning. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Again, as I mentioned, despondency is a state of low spirits caused by a loss of hope or courage. What often is the cause of despondency? Well, we're going to try to answer that question this morning as we study God's word. But I think we see the answer to this question in the life of Elijah. And when I look at Elijah's life, I see a man of, of great courage, of great power. I see a man who is, who, who is on fire for God and has done tremendous things. But I also see a man, as the Bible says in the book of James, a man that is of like passions, which means he is similar to us. The same struggles that we go through were the same struggles that Elijah went through as well. In chapter 18, go back there if you would. Chapter number 18, let's start in verse number 21. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, just seeing the power of God. All the prophets of Baal, the prophets of, of the grove had come together. Uh, there was a lot of idolatry, a lot of uh, other God worship in Israel at this time. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel were a very wicked king and queen. And Elijah, the prophet of God, at that time was there trying to throw uh, away or, or disband those that were against the true and living God. In verse number 21, we come to this verse, it says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, he gathered all the people together on Mount Carmel, How long halt ye between two opinions? This is a great question. Basically, how long are you going to do what you want versus what God wants? If the Lord be God, what's it say? Follow him. And that's a great challenge for us today. How long will many of us halt between two opinions? If God truly be God, 
What are we supposed to do? Follow him, serve him, obey him. So Elijah says, if God be God or if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then what? Follow him. And the people, this is very telling. The people, what? Answered him not a word. They kept quiet. I feel like that sometimes, you know, as I present a challenge from God's word and present this message that God has given me. And I feel like sometimes the people answered not a word. I know we're not at the place where the Israelites were at this time. A lot of idolatry, a lot of uh, other God worship during, during this day when Elijah was living. There weren't a lot of people that were standing up for the truth. And we can even see that in our own nation, our own country. How God, the true and living God, is, is being put out to pasture in a sense. And even Christians are starting to follow other gods. They're starting to follow themselves. They're starting to follow the culture instead of following the true and living God. So Elijah again is addressing this. Let's continue on. Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. So he proceeds to have a challenge before these people, basically calling out their God versus the true and living God and, and seeing which one is actually going to Answer. So they're going to prepare an altar, they're going to dress it up, and they're going to pray for fire from heaven to come down. So it's, it's a kind of a comical thing that, that happens next. Verse 25, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourself, and dress it at first, for you are many, and call on the name of your gods, and put no fire under. So don't do anything, but call unto your god or your gods, and, and pray that fire come down. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon. So all morning they prayed to their God, and you know what? Nothing happened. Saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Now, now this is where I love it. I'm sure it's a very comical scene. As they're praying and pleading with their false god to do something, to hear them. And now they're, they're leaping. They're jumping on the altar. And I, I can just imagine this. I'm not going to like jump on it. Oh, I should do that. But uh, actually, I'm afraid to do that because those aren't bolted down. So then we just start a, a, a mass you know, domino effect. So I'm not going to do that this morning. But I can just imagine they, they jump on the altar. And, hey, Baal, hear us. Call fire down from heaven, please. You know, do something. So it continues in verse number 27. And it came to pass at noon. And this is where I love it. This is where I see myself in Elijah. <laughs> that Elijah mocked them. <laughs> Ever mocked someone? Ever made fun of them? Yeah, probably many of us. Many of us husbands and wives do that constantly, right? And said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, <laughs> or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey. Or peradventure, he's sleeping. You know, maybe he's just asleep, so he can't hear you. Why don't you cry a little bit louder? Why don't you speak a little bit louder? He needs to be awakened. Verse 28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past. So they've already done this some morning. Now past noon and midday, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said to all the people, all right, my turn. Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down because, you know, they jumped on it and did all kinds of crazy things. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar. 
And then what continues to happen or what proceeds to happen following, he then pours water on the altar and dumps bucket after bucket after bucket of water on the altar. Now, if you know anything about starting a fire, you don't douse the wood with water before you try to start a fire. But that's what Elijah does because he's trying to prove to them who God is, that God is the true and living God. Verse number 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Now this would be an awesome thing to see. Could you imagine all of a sudden fire coming from heaven down and consuming this altar? That's exactly what happened. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and the wood and like stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So here we've seen an amazing thing take place. We have seen the power of God. Elijah has spoken to God. God has heard him. Fire fell down. People repented of their sins. People got right with God. But then there was a couple of people that weren't too happy about everything. Elijah said unto them, take the prophets, those that had turned their hearts back to God. Verse 40, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down by the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink. For there's a sound of abundance of rain. So it's about to start raining. And then what proceeds to happen is Elijah runs back to Jezreel. Now, if you study history and you study geography, you see that from Mount Carmel to Jezreel is about 17 miles. Now, I know some of you guys like to run in here. I know my wife is one of those. He proceeds to run and outrun a chariot because the chariot that was chasing him was Ahab, and Ahab wasn't too happy. Jezebel wasn't too happy with what just took place because all of the false prophets were killed. Now, again, I want you to think about this. What just took place is we saw the amazing hand of God. We saw the power of God come down. And when you see the power of God come down in your lives, it excites you, it encourages you. It gets you on fire for God. Someone that's on fire for God shouldn't be in a state of depression, right? Shouldn't be in a state of despondency or despair. But we move to chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that had happened, all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now, these were her prophets, they're false prophets. She wasn't too happy. So what she does is she sends a kill order on Elijah's life. Elijah just had a great victory. But then he becomes discouraged. I was thinking about this last night, and I shared it with my wife this morning. I think really a more fitting title for this message is this, Threatened by a Woman. (laughs) Right? I thought about preaching that for next Mother's Day, but with my track record, there's probably a good chance I won't be here on Mother's Day since I missed the past two Mother's Day being in the hospital. But that's not the message this morning. But that's exactly what happened, though. He was threatened by Jezebel. And the man that had just witnessed God's power, God's might, is now discouraged. And I want us to look at, first of all, what we see in Elijah's life. He was overcome by his fear. He was overcome 
by his fear. You see, when the message from Jezebel came to his life, he became afraid. Fear replaced his faith. He just saw an amazing work of God. How many have ever witnessed God's hand? I think many of us have. Maybe in your life, maybe in the life of a church, you've witnessed God's hand. You have an amazing faith in God, and then something happens. And all of a sudden, you're overcome by fear. You know what a Christian is called not to do? Fear. The Bible says in Psalm 56, 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love, of a sound mind. That spirit of fear does not come from the Lord. It comes from the devil. Joshua 1, 9, God's encouragement to Joshua once he took over for Moses. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So God is reminding Joshua, and he reminds him over and over in that book, not to be afraid, because I am with you. And sometimes the most simplest things are the things that we struggle with. We know that God is with us, and yet sometimes we forget that. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Who is the I? It's God. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I found a great definition of a pastor of what a Christian looks like. And he mentions three things. And honestly, there's two of the three things that I, I like, but the third thing I really don't like. He said this, a Christian is one who is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. I don't like that last one. But that's the truth. A Christian is one, should be one, that is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. Why are we in trouble? Because we're doing what God wants us to do. And the enemy, the devil, is attacking us. The world is attacking us because they don't like it when a Christian is on fire for God. But a Christian is called to be not fearful, but fearless. We're called to trust in the all-sufficiency of our Savior, but the desire to run, the desire to quit, always spells one thing, fear. Sometimes we're afraid of what's in front of us. We're afraid, to, afraid to, to face our circumstances. We want to run. We want to go away. We, we want to get away from the problem, but the problem isn't going to leave us just because we run. Fear indicates we have ceased trusting in God and started trusting in ourselves. The whole explanation on the account of Elijah lies right here. This mighty man of faith and courage, this rugged, heroic prophet, had stopped trusting in God and started trusting in himself. And then once he hears the news, he proceeds to take another journey. He goes to Beersheba, which is in excess of 100 miles. This guy really liked to run. Do you think about it? What, what caused Peter to sink when he was walking on water? Fear. What causes many Christians from fulfilling God's will for their lives? Fear. Well, we're afraid because we don't know what the future has in store for us. And we don't, we don't know the situation. And, and we're in the middle of a storm. We're in the middle of a, a trial. And, and we can't see the end. So instead of trusting in the all-sufficiency of our Savior, what do we do? We trust in ourselves. We look at the circumstances. We can't see the other side. So we give in to our fear. Maybe you're not like that, but that happens to me many times. Any trial that I've gone through, there's been times where I've forgotten about the trial and focused on my Savior and I got through it. 
unscathed, but there's been many times where I've looked at the trial and see, man, there's no way I can get through this. There's no way I'm going to make it through. Obviously, God doesn't care about me. That's not truth. That's a lie from the devil. So many Christians are not fulfilling God's will for their lives because of fear. So we see that Elijah was overcome by fear, but the second thing is this. He was disabled by isolation. Let's continue in verse number three. And when he saw that, this message that was from Jezebel, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. So he had someone on his side, and instead of having the servant continue to be with him and, and encourage him and strengthen him, you know what he did? Why don't you stay here? You know what I tend to do when I go through moments of despondency and despair? I tend to isolate myself even more than I already do. I tend to focus more inward. <laughs> and one of, the great or, uh, one of the great dangers of depression is a tendency to turn inward. When we're hurting and in pain, we often withdraw ourselves from others. I just, I need to focus on myself. I, I, need to, I need to get away from everyone because no one's gonna help me right now. That's about the dumbest thing you can do. And what we see is Elijah has put everyone out of his life that he needed, and it's just him. In verse number four, but he himself went a day's journey to the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He finds himself under a juniper tree requesting God just take his life. Now, it's, it's almost comical to me. You know, Jezebel's after him, wanting to kill him. If he really wanted to die, why didn't he just let Jezebel get him? <laughs> I think sometimes we say things that we don't really mean. But when fear overcomes us, we become completely illogical. We tend to contradict ourselves. We do things that don't even seem rational. We continue on. Not only was he overcome by fear, he was disabled by isolation, but he was devastated by self-pity. You ever been there? Here's what we see in these verses. Elijah is having a pity party, table of one, <laughs> for himself. He has succumbed to that poor me mentality. What a drastic change from what we just read in chapter 18. He says, it is enough, which is an elegant way of saying, I'm fed up with this setup. I'm fed up with the situation, Lord. I'm tired of it. I've reached my limit. I'm, I'm to the max of it all. So just take my life. End it all. I'm sick of it all. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. You know, this self-pity is a mark invariably of having fallen from faith into an attitude of self-trust. And self-trust always leads to self-pity. You know, many of us have been where Elijah has been. Maybe you didn't necessarily ask to kill yourself or even try to kill yourself, but maybe you had that I quit attitude. <laughs> I'm done. Because I've been there. And I am so sick of all this problem. I'm so sick of this trial. I'm so sick of this. I'm done. I'm fed up. Let someone else take care of it. I've been there. You know, even this week, I've been there. Even this week, I, I, I've had my own little self-pity party. God, why do you keep allowing trouble and trials to come into my life? 
You know, really, the, the meningitis has really gotten me down more than I'd like to admit. I don't understand why God does certain things in my life and the lives of others. And I, and I very easily withdraw myself and I very easily say, man, forget this. God isn't there. He's not, he's not answering me. God's always there. He's always been answering me, but sometimes I just don't want to listen. But I've had that attitude of, man, I, I quit. What is it? I want you to get this. What is it that caused these moments of dejection and despair? Times that we ought to be rejoicing in who God is, what he's done for us, but instead we find ourselves gripped by un, some unexplainable spirit of dejection. What is the cause of this? Get this down. The cause of our despondency is often the result of unexpected events. The cause of our despondency is often the result of unexpected events. You know what I mean? When things don't go as you planned, I know we probably have some planners in this room. Sometimes I can plan, sometimes I don't plan. But when things don't go the way you planned, it's very easy to get discouraged, right? Well, I had all this planned out. I had my day planned out. This happened, this happened, this happened. It messed everything up. And then it leads to despondency. It leads to despair. It leads to a, a depressed attitude and, and a spirit of, God, why have you allowed this to happen? God, I'm trying to serve you, and you messed all my plans up. When you read 1 Kings chapter 18, there is no doubt that Elijah knows who God is. There is no doubt that Elijah believes God. He has trusted God. He believes in God's power. He knew that God was going to show up as he prayed this elegant prayer and fire came down from heaven. He was going along with God. Get this. As long as God was doing what Elijah expected him to do. And that's happened to me. As long as God was doing what I expected God to do, I was on board with God. But the moment God didn't do what I expected him to do, where are you at, God? I'm done. I'm sick of this. I'm tired. You see, this message from Jezebel has really shaken him. Why? Because he's not expecting it. You know, when I went to the hospital May 1st, I wasn't expecting to find out I had meningitis. I wasn't expecting that at all. And it's almost as if Elijah's faith was placed more in his knowledge of God and not necessarily upon God. And this is frequently the cause of our despondency. We have a knowledge of God. We have a knowledge that he is all sufficient. We have a knowledge and we've even witnessed his working in our lives. But when God doesn't perform or act the way that we think he should perform or act, it causes our faith to be shaken and we hit that proverbial rock bottom. This cause is not just unexpected events. It's always the unsuspected trust in ourselves. We trust in ourselves that we have the power to overcome anything. We don't have the power to overcome nothing. So how do we get beyond this? How can we overcome our moments of fear, distrust? How can we thrive through our despondency? Well, over the next several verses, God gives Elijah a great prescription. And it's a prescription that I've had to look to many times in my life. And it's a prescription I believe will help you as well. Look at verse number four. Elijah went a day's journey and he said, obviously, it's, you know, it's better for me to die. Look on verse number five. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and lay down again. 
And the angel of the Lord came unto him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. The first prescription, the first thing that God wants us to do when we're in this spirit of despondency is learn to rest. Some people are like, I can't rest. I'll rest when I die. Well, that's foolish. Sometimes we need to learn to rest. And that's a hard thing for me in my own life, and I know many of you have tried to help me with that, and I've tried to do that since I've found out about my own problems. But it's very hard for me just to rest. It's very hard for me to to stop going because things have to be done. I have to keep moving. I have to keep moving. I have to keep going. But in my moving and going and doing, I usually get more despondent, more depressed, more discouraged. You know, our bodies need rest. Elijah was exhausted. He had just combated paganism. He had just seen an amazing thing. He had run a, basically a marathon. When we're exhausted, we have no control over our emotions. And I've seen that. When I'm completely exhausted and depleted and worn out, I tend to do things that I shouldn't do. I tend to th- say things that I shouldn't say. Depression descends more easily upon us. Worry grips us. Temptations catch us unawares. So what did God do? He provided rest for Elijah. He provided water and bread for Elijah to eat. I want you to notice quickly what God doesn't do. I don't see in this passage God looking at Elijah. Elijah, just suck it up. What's your problem? Now, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that in my own life or looking at other people's life. What is your problem? Just suck it up. Go on. You know, we can easily do that in our lives or looking at others when we have that critical attitude, critical spirit. Just suck it up. You're fine. It's not that big of a deal. I've gone through things much worse than you, so just suck it up. That's the wrong spirit. God didn't do that. He didn't go off on Elijah. He didn't rebuke him. There are times for that. Elijah had worked himself up, complaining to God, and God allowed him to just fall asleep because our bodies need rest. Verses 6 through 8, what we see is that God replenishes him. He sends him food and allows him to rest up. And once his fatigue has been taken care of, it's time for the next step. You know, we have to learn to rest, but we can't stay in that rest stage. Spurgeon once said, the spirit needs to be fed. The body needs feeding also. Do not forget these matters. It may seem to some people that I ought not to mention such small things as food and rest. But these may be the very first elements in really helping a poor, depressed servant of God. And what we tend to do, especially in our American society, and I've been guilty of this, you know, we turn to medicine. Well, medicine will help me. Well, it can, but sometimes we just need to rest. You know, God isn't, as we continue on, God, God asks Elijah, which is kind of a telling thing. He, he asks, you know, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Why have you come to this place? It's kind of interesting. God didn't ask him because he needed information. He asked him because he wanted a response. We continue on, verse number nine. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what doest thou here? And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord. So he's giving God his excuse. (laughs) 
I've been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Lord, people have been against you. They have thrown down thine altars. They have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Lord, I've been doing what you've called me to do. I'm the only one that's actually serving you. I'm the only one that's actually on fire for you. Everyone else has forsaken you. First prescription is learn to rest. But then the second thing, and it's kind of an interesting thing, feel free to vent. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to let off steam, right? Sometimes we just need to, to vent. But notice in particular where Elijah's venting is turned to. He's turned to God. Now, God wants us to come to him, to call upon him. And God allowed Elijah to repeatedly vent his frustrations. But here's an important lesson we need to remember with this. It's okay to vent to other people because even situations we vent to other Christians, maybe they can help us with our emotions, not do something foolish, not make a mistake. But it's very important that we learn to vent upward and not just outward. It's very easy for me to always vent outward and not upward. But I think of the psalmist. I think of Psalm chapter 77. I think of countless times where David, he is crying to God. And the psalmist in verse, seven, or verse number one of Psalm 77 says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. Here's the great truth. When we cry to God, he hears us. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah, thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And he continues on. But it's very important to cry out to God, to call to God, because God will hear us. He hears the voice of his children. First prescription is learn to rest. Second is feel free to vent. Make sure our venting is more turned upwards and not always outwards. But then this third principle is very important. Let's continue on. Verse number 11. You know, Elijah's kind of venting to God, voicing his frustration. And he said, go forth. God is giving him another prescription. Go forth. Stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces. And the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Asked the same question. You know, not only should we learn to rest or feel free to vent, but this is very important. What we need to do when we're in that despondent moment, that moment of despair, is go rediscover God. You see, God knew what Elijah needed. The ultimate answer to life's downturns is rediscovering God's infallible word. That he has always promised that he will always be there for us. That he will never leave us, never forsake us. I know this truth, but I've forgotten it so many times when I focused on my own foolishness, when I focused on my own self, when I focused on my problems instead of focusing on God. So sometimes what needs to happen is that we rediscover God, who he is. I think sometimes we're waiting for some magnificent display of God. 
Oh, if, if God does something magnificent in my life, then I'll know that he's real. God sent three magnificent voices, noises in a sense, all powerful things, yet God wasn't there. God's power wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. Where was his power? In that still small voice. His power is in the Holy Spirit who indwells within the believer. This quiet whisper was so holy that Elijah had to cover his face. It's so easy to think that God isn't listening to us, that God isn't speaking. You know, for some of us today, it's time for us to rediscover who God is. But for others, it might be time that you actually discover God. What I mean is actually put your faith and trust in him. I dare say that there are many people that come to church on a weekly basis that aren't saved, that know of God, that have a knowledge of God, but don't have a relationship with him. How can you expect to make it through the storms of your life if God isn't with you? It doesn't matter how much you come to church, one day we'll all stand and give an account to God in heaven. And if we've never trusted him as our Savior, ask him for forgiveness of our sins, repented of our sins, ask him to come into our heart and be our Savior. And when we stand before him, he won't accept us into heaven. He'll reject us and send us to hell. And there's many Christians, or so-called, so-called Christians, really, there's many churchgoers that are probably on their way to hell because they have a knowledge of God, but they don't have a relationship with God. Today, if you've never discovered God, and we have an invitation in a few minutes, maybe it's time that you come and say, God, I need you. I need your guidance. I need your... I need you in all areas of my life, but for others, maybe it's time that you rediscover God. Here's what I mean. You see, God still speaks through the Holy Spirit, through his word, but most people refuse to listen when God is speaking. There's a story I've used before of a man that lost his wristwatch many years ago in an old ice house and sawdust floor, so it's very hard to find things, obviously, if you drop it. Looked everywhere, couldn't find it. And finally, on the lunch break, all the men went out and a little boy went in. Within a few minutes, he came out and had that wristwatch in hand. To the amazement and shock of this man, he said, how, how on earth did you find it? Sawdust everywhere. I looked everywhere and couldn't find it. And the boy said, it was pretty simple. I laid down. And when things got quiet, I listened. And when I listened, I heard the ticking of the watch. You see, sometimes what we need to do is quiet all the noises around us so we can hear God's voice. God is still speaking to us. But the question is this, are we still enough to listen? Most of the time, honestly, I'm not still enough. God is trying to speak to me and I'm too busy running around, too busy doing, too busy going, instead of just sitting and listening to what God is trying to tell me. Not only must we rediscover God, but let's continue on, verse number 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel has forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left to seek thy life and take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And shall come to pass, 
that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. So here's what happened. God gave him a new purpose. Once we rediscover who God is, once we listen to God's voice, once God speaks to us, he gives us a purpose. And what it's, what it's telling us to do is this, to renew our purpose. The Lord gave Elijah a new set of assignments. Nothing helps overcome discouragement like rediscovering our purpose in life and setting out to do the work that God has called us to do. I get depleted continuously. And what I need is renewal. Renew means to begin again, to restore, to replenish, to revive, to reestablish. And I like that definition, the simple, yet hits home the point, to begin again. Sometimes what we need to do in our Christian life is just to begin again. Sometimes what we need is to renew our purpose. We get down in the dumps and, and we despair and have a sense of despondency and people quit coming to church and people quit listening to God and people quit doing what God wants them to do. And instead of listening to his voice, they go off and do whatever they want. But instead, maybe we should start over again. That's why Paul continually talks to the Christians in, in the New Testament, telling them to renew their mind, renew their hearts. Renewal must be daily. And I've learned this even in my own life, even this week, that I need to renew my mind, renew my heart, renew my thoughts, renew myself to God's spirit, to God's purpose on a continual basis. We continue on. I love what happens next. Verse number 18, God speaks again. Again, Elijah's gone off, and again, I'm, I'm the only one here, Lord. Verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which thou hast not kissed him. Here's the next thing we must do. Allow God to give you reassurance. Hey, Elijah, just in case you didn't know, you're not alone. Just in case you think it's all about you, it's not about you. There are 7,000 others who haven't bowed down to Baal, who are still serving me, who are still doing what I've called them to do. And God has had to hit me upside the face with this even this week. Hey, there are still others that are serving me. There are still others that are going through trials even greater than yours. Get up. I'm reassuring you that I'm still with you that I am still God. I don't know about you, but I get in such a pity party at times. Sometimes God has to show up in the form of another person with a much more difficult situation than mine to remind me that he's still there. He's given me reassurance that I don't need to focus on my problems, but I need to focus on him. But then we continue on as we can close out this passage. Verse number 19, so we departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto them, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew him and boiled their flesh and with the instrument of the oxen and gave unto the people that did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. For the next several years, Elisha and Elijah are ministering together. 
up until the point that God called Elijah home and one of only two individuals in the Bible that never died and God called him up in a whirlwind, that chariot of fire, and it was a pretty awesome thing. But here, here's, here's what I've learned. Here's what God taught me this week in this final passage. And when you study out the next several really chapters and books, you see this with Elijah and Elisha. Yes, we need to allow God to give us reassurance. We need to renew our purpose. Uh, we need to rediscover God and have, feel, or have freedom to vent and learn to rest. But I think this is what it boils down to this morning. What we need to do when we have that moment of despondency, that moment of distrust, that moment of despair is this. Focus on others. The Lord provided a solitary friend with Elijah, someone to share the load. A healthy life keeps its friendship in good repair. Elijah and Elisha served side by side until God, God called Elijah home. Even though God started working in his life, Elijah is not alone. So God provided him a friend named Elisha. Well, God desires that we cultivate friendships that we all need with other people. But this is some of the best advice on despondency. This is what God is trying to get across to Elijah. When you feel despondent, when you feel that it's all about yourself, when you can't get through these trials, go focus on someone else. And I've learned when I focus on someone else, my problems seem small because I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. And Paul, over and over in the New Testament, that's his message to the churches. Focus on someone else. Focus on others. Paul, of anyone in the New Testament especially, could have focused on himself, could have focused on a situation. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was betrayed. He didn't do anything wrong. All he was doing was serving God, yet he didn't feel sorry for himself. I'm sure there were moments where he did, but what we see over and over in Paul's life is that he was constantly focusing on other people. And that's what I've learned in my life, and that's the help I want to try to give you this morning. When you feel despondent, when you feel in despair, when anxiety is coming over and you, you think you can't get through it, go focus on someone else. Go try to lift someone else up. Go try to encourage someone else. You know what happens when we start putting others first? It's pretty difficult to stay despondent. But we're also laying the groundwork for some great and lasting friendships. God gave Elijah what he needed the most. He needed rest and rediscovery. He needed renewing, renewal and reassurance to focus on others. I read an account of an old Navajo Indian down in Arizona who was pretty wealthy. He had made a lot of money by the discovery of oil on his property, but he kept all the money in a bank in town. Every now and then the old man would come in off the ranch and into the bank, and he would come into the president of the bank and say to him, rain all gone, streams dry up, Grass all gone, sheep all die. The banker knew exactly what to do. He would go into the vault and would get out stacks of silver dollars and stack them upon the table, invite the old man to come and sit and look at them and say, this is your money. And the old Navajo would go and sit down in front of his money and eye it and finger it and count it, feel it. After a while, he would get up and go out to the banker and say, rain coming now. Plenty of grass, plenty of water, sheep all fine. Back he would go to the ranch. And that old Indian was quite wrong about his dependence upon money. You see, he looked at his money as his ultimate resource. And when he saw that he had money in the bank, everything was fine. I have resources. But here's the, here's the thing the Christian needs to learn. Don't focus on the storm. Focus on the one who controls the storm. 
When we go through the trials, when we go through the troubles and the tribulations of life, don't focus on the problem. In a sense, we need to go to our own bank and realize that God is still there, that God is the author of the storm, that God is in control of the storm. And if God is the author in the control of the storm, he will see us through. And here's what I close with and get this down. When you are the neediest, that's when he is the most sufficient. When you are completely helpless, he is most helpful. When you feel totally dependent upon yourselves, he is absolutely dependable. When you are at your weakest, he is the most able. When you are the most alone, he is intimately present. When you feel that you are the least, he is the greatest. When you are the most useless, he is preparing you. When it's in the darkest of night, he is the only light that you need. When you feel the least secure, he is your rock and your fortress. When you are the most humble, he is the most gracious. Max Licata put it this way. God likes you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Thriving through despondency comes, to, comes down to this. Focusing on God's sufficiency and resting in his adequacy. Church, I'm here to tell you that God is sufficient. He is adequate. Elijah lost track of that for a moment in his life felt sorry for himself. And really, I know Jezebel's after him and wanting to kill him. But if God can call or God can bring fire down from heaven, don't you think he can take care of someone that's attacking him? Of course he can. If God can do the impossible, don't you think he can take care of any problem in your life? He can. You want to thrive through your despondency? Then learn to focus on God's sufficiency and rest in his adequacy.